Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of. Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. It's a busy week of podcasts and these are extra podcasts just to point out that the extra Arsecasts don't have the bit at the end like the regular Arsecast. So don't hold that against me. But while you don't get an end bit, you do get a whole extra podcast. So it's a reasonable trade-off. I think we did do an extra one yesterday, myself and James, talking about his book, The Champ and the Chump. Check it out if you haven't already. Really good chat, really good conversation with James. And there is a chance for you to win a signed copy of the book as well. So make sure you get that one into your ears. We do have tomorrow, uh, Thursday, we're going to have our Brentford preview podcast. We preview every Premier League game over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arseblog. So myself and Lewis Ambrose will be previewing the Brentford game tomorrow. That'll be available on Patreon. And a reminder that if you want to get involved in the Fantasy Football League and win prizes, first prize is 400 euros and an Arsenal shirt. We've got Arsenal shirts and more cash prizes as well. You have to be registered in the league by midday on Friday. Midday on Friday. It's open to our Patreon members. Patreon dot com forward slash arseblog. Now, we will, of course, have a regular arsecast for you on Friday, previewing the Premier League season uh, from an Arsenal perspective. But one of the things we've done down the years is is look at things a bit more broadly, have a chat about the, the Premier League in general, about football in general. And as always, to do that, I am joined by Ken Early of Second Captains. Hi, Ken. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. Thanks, Ken. How are you? Very well. This is better. Yeah, this is strange because we're doing this remotely for the first time, uh, which is something, you know, we've all had to get used to in some ways when it comes to podcasting and all that kind of stuff. But we've normally done these face to face. So it is a bit is a bit of a strange one this year. 
Well, we are allowed to do it face to face, of course. It's just uh, turned out more convenient to do remotely. <laughs> Maybe that's just going to be the way with a lot of things. Yeah, long. we could have made more effort, I think, is what you're saying. Yeah, we could. We possibly could. <laughs> well, look, uh, before we get on to Premier League stuff and talking about the new Premier League season that's coming, we do have to talk about, I suppose, the biggest football story in the world right now. I haven't had a chance to listen to you guys talk about uh, Lionel Messi and PSG uh, this morning on, on your podcast, but um, what's your sort of overarching view of, of this move Uh, in the light of the problems that Barcelona have had financially. I mean, there really was kind of only one place for him to go. Well, he could have gone anywhere, but there was only one place for him to go where he might have won the Champions League while making, you know, 40 million a year or whatever it is. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) 36 million net or whatever his his fee is, I'm sure. Or his his salary, I'm sure. We'll hear more about that, and um, I'm sure there's even parts of it we won't ever hear about. But he did have the chance to, uh, well, he didn't have to do this, but this is like, uh, I mean, this is the most attractive move in terms of um, money and potential to win trophies and also play with his his old buddy Neymar. Um, So it is a kind of a logical move from his point of view. It is a pity that um, this has happened. I mean, I think, I think the existence of PSG in general, as uh, you know, in this form, is regrettable. Uh, you know, which is to say, I'm not a, I'm not a, a PSG exterminationist. You know, I, <laughs> I, I respect, I respect PSG's right to right to exist, but this uh, is, uh, this PSG is is unfortunate because, you know, they've got talent there for they, they, it should be the stars of four or five uh, big teams that they've crammed into the one squad mm. and you know it's this this is a this is a an incredible super team uh the likes of which has not been seen before i believe um other than on like the stage at the uh you know fifa best gala for the the fifa pro or you know the ballon d'or or whatever yeah, yeah that's the only time you get to see uh, a collection of stars like this so it is going to be really fascinating to see them play, although regrettable that they may only play two serious games per year. You know, <laughs> given that you you would assume they'll get through their Champions League group, and then it's into the knockouts, and then it's a case of then it's okay. Now we get to, now we get to see them playing some real football. Finally, I mean, like they have, like Barcelona have found out what it what it feels like to be Carthage. You know, this is this is how it feels to be ground into the dust for your buildings to be raised, for your children to be sold into slavery, and for salt to be ploughed into the fields. That is what <laughs> that's what that's what PSG have done, done Barcelona. You know, it's um, it's hard to believe that that this has happened, but this is what they've managed to do ever since taking Neymar uh, from Barcelona. Barcelona have kind of gone crazy. Uh, they blew all the money, and and then a lot more on top of that. Um, they completely have lost the plot and now they've collapsed um, into this, um, you know, and they could have a lot further to collapse is the point here. You know, they, <laughs> you know, just because Messi's gone, that does it. It's not like, well, you know, uh, that's that over with. Now we can begin to rebuild. No, uh, the, the destruction still has a way to go. You know, we, we don't know what size of a club, what sort of a sm- uh, sm- smoking rubble, uh, what kind of a club is going to be left amidst the smoking rubble when this, 
is over yeah. because, you know, they're still losing money hand over fist. But this is all, this process was set in motion by PSG taking Neymar. And now they take, having taken Neymar for the world record fee, they've now taken Messi on a free transfer. And you, you're just kind of scratching your head. You know, Barcelona have lost the, the player that has, has defined them for, you know, for the last 15 years. And carried them um, for the last few as well. Really, um, you know, it's 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 a real. I don't know if this has ever. Been, I can't remember another example of a club eating an, uh, another club like this before. I mean, they have. You know, Bayern, yeah. Bayern do it to Dortmund. Bayern, Bayern do it to Dortmund, but it's more with them. It's more the case of you know, you know, the eagle comes and tears out the the liver of um, Prometheus every day, and then it, <laughs> then it grows back overnight, and then the eagle comes and takes the liver again in the morning. That's that's a Bayern and Dortmund. It's almost a kind of symbiotic thing. It's like you know. Uh, uh, Dortmund grow a liver, Bayern eat the liver. Uh, Dortmund grow it back and Bayern, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a kind of a circle of life is what I'm saying. Whereas in this case, it's just been, it's just been death. It's, it's like, um, you think you're the best in the world, you're the best in the world. Well, let's see if we can absolutely smash you to pieces. Let's see if we can up the financial ante to a point that you can't, you can't keep up with us. You know, it's like it's like the myth of, um, well, you know, there's some truth in it, I guess. But, the, you know, it was said to say when, when, Ronald Reagan, when Ronald Reagan was the U.S. president, that his kind of insane increases in military spending were what helped to collapse the Soviet Union because the Soviet Union had to try to keep up and in so doing didn't have any resources to devote to any other aspects of their, of their economy other than military spending. And after a while, people just began to think, well, sorry, what is the point of this? Why are we doing this? And, mm. and the whole thing, the whole thing collapsed. So this is what the Qataris have done, I guess. Um, and it's kind of bringing, bringing the whole thing to, to a nice little circular conclusion. Because if you remember Barcelona's, the last time Barcelona were in uh, a position like this was around 2000, 2003. It wasn't as bad as this, uh, but they were in a bit of a debt hole. Uh, their debts were bigger than their annual turnover. And the way that they kick-started their recovery from that was by taking the big star of PSG, Ronaldinho. Yeah. Um, and now I guess PSG have... have uh, PSG send their regards. <laughs> I mean, they have brought about an incredible... Uh, I mean, whatever about PSG coming in and sort of applying the killer blow, they have suffered death by... I was going to say a thousand financial cuts, but it's probably you know, a uh, half do- or a couple of dozen really ridiculous transfer fees and, and what have you that they have paid. Uh, there was a piece doing the rounds, I think it was in the Financial Times, and some of the mismanagement, some of the way that they they brokered deals was ludicrous, you know, just because they did not want to be seen, and maybe the guy who was running the club did not want to be seen to, to lose face in that regard. And, you know, I think in the in the... In the now, when we're thinking about Messi not being at Barcelona, it's really weird to think about him playing football for somebody else, for another club. And that's something we'll we'll have to get used to uh, and something Barcelona fans will have to get used to. But I do wonder about, as you say, how much further they have to fall as a club because there are, what, over a billion euros in debts. There's this stadium redevelopment project that I don't know what's going to happen to that. Uh, how can they uh, invest in their team again? La Liga? has lost its biggest star it's going to lose a lot of its luster uh, and and marketing and all that kind of a stuff so you know while Lionel Messi uh, was sad and cried and I'm sure didn't want it to end like this for him as a player 
it's kind of worked out all right in the sense that he will go and play with Neymar, with Mbappe, with Verratti, with these amazing players, get paid a lot of money, have chances to win things. But in the cold light of day, Barcelona are pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they are. Um, they really are. Uh, but, you know, they'll be fine at the same time because they're they're maybe they have to retreat a little bit from the globalized entity that they've that they've become over the, in in the messy era because it's it, they don't even really like what they've become you know barcelona um it's like if you've ever been to barcelona i mean you actually you lived in barcelona did you know yes i did yeah yeah you lived in Barcelona, so yeah. you probably... I mean, people in Barcelona complain all the time about all the tourists. I mean, it's like one of the... Is it the most visited city in, in Europe? It's, yeah. definitely, it's definitely one of um, the most visited cities. Um, but, you know, for a long time, it's been like over... You know, it's overcrowded. There's too many people. There's all these Airbnb, Airbnbs, you know, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and people complain about it. It's like the city becomes a victim of its own success. Yeah. Um, and, you know... Bar- the same thing has happened to Barcelona to some extent. I mean, one of the reasons why their crisis at the moment is so terrible is that, I mean, everyone's been hit by the COVID, uh, the, the sort of pandemic uh, shock, you know, the economic shock of the mm. pandemic of having to play in closed stadiums for um, a year, year and a half or whatever it's been. But Barcelona are more exposed to this than almost anybody because their their economy had become so dependent on the uh, tourists that were coming to their games. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, every big successful club has got tourist fans, you know, I mean, mm. Premier League clubs are, are no different, but do they have 30,000 per game coming? No, but that's what Barcelona have coming for uh, league games, you know, and the... To see the, Messi. To see Messi, yeah, to see to see Messi, to see Barcelona, to, but also to go and to buy, a, to buy a load of Messi gear in the shop, you know what I mean, to... To, to spend to spend money to go to the museum their, their museum is the third visited third most visited museum in Spain I mean the Barcelona Club Museum you know so um, it's a it's a huge they've got this huge exposure to the kind of uh, international market let's say which was completely shut down I mean every, everybody lost this but Barcelona had really developed a big dependence on this yeah yeah and you know that's one of the reasons why they, they ended up in such a in such a hole. I mean, if they have to now not be like that, I mean, if, if, if like, did you see like, for instance, actually I, I only saw this in screen grab form and I haven't checked it. So I, so it may just have been fake, but the screen grab that I saw showed PSG's Instagram account uh, with 20 million followers. And then like a few posts later, having signed Messi with 40 million followers. Yeah. So one of the Optostats guys uh, tweeted about that. So I assume it's true. Yeah. Now, so that's the that's obviously the kind of I mean Messi is Messi is a bigger star that Messi is, has a probably a bigger following than Barcelona I guess I mean he's a he's he's a bigger deal than they are uh, and so losing him is huge you know I mean it's similar to when when Real Madrid lost Ronaldo I mean they didn't lose Ronaldo they sold Ronaldo they did it better than Barcelona have managed to do it um, they sold Ronaldo for more than they paid for him um, which seems like an incredible deal now. Uh, when you look at what's happened to Barcelona, but uh, so so Barcelona are going to lose some of these followers. To which the response surely has to be, "Who cares? You know, it doesn't matter." <laughs> there was Barcelona long before there were like international followers who were more interested in, in the star player than than in Barcelona, and they will continue to exist. You know, it's a place that's they've always had a big club there. There's always been a big there's always been a big club in Barcelona because mm-hmm. it's like because it's the focus of so much 
of the feeling of the of the city and of the region. You know, it's like it's one of the it's. I don't want to say Barcelona Football Club is the biggest thing in Barcelona, but I can't think of too much else. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, like, yeah. It's 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 part of the fabric. You know, it's not like Arsenal can say Arsenal might Arsenal might claim to be the biggest football club in London, but it's not like they can say, you know, welcome to London, welcome to Arsenal. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Th- th- there are other things going on in in London, which is a which is a, a city, a, a, a bigger, uh, wealthier, kind of more powerful city in Barcelona. In Barcelona, the football club is really is the main is the main thing, and for the reason it's always going to be big. Uh, I mean, it always has been. Um, they're going. They're going to go through a rough patch now. They've run them. They've been run really stupidly. They've squandered all their money. Um, they've made fools of themselves, uh, and now they're going to suffer. But suffering is good as well, you know. I mean, it's just uh, that's how you get back in. That's how you get back in shape to go again. Um, which I think Barcelona. Well, I mean, okay, you can look at examples. You can say, well, look at AC Milan. How did it work out for them? But, but with AC Milan. You know they they were they were kind of an artificially inflated club in some ways. You know their their brilliant era of success was kind of underpinned by Berlusconi's financial doping. You know you know what I mean. There was yeah, yeah. there was an artificial element to that, um, which I don't think has really been the case with with Barcelona uh, over the years. You know I mean could they could they end up like that? Yeah, I mean you know there's there's no guarantee that they're going to stop making mistakes now that they're poor. Um, but I think that what they'll probably do is go back to their whole more than uh, more than a club thing, and they may they may start getting a bit more political as well. I have a feeling that that might be what they do because you know I don't really see what like they can't they can't the, the problem for them is that the recent past has actually been too good. Like they nothing they do over the next ten years is going to approach the quality of the teams that they had. It, when when Messi, Xavi, mm. Iniesta, Busquets, Dani Alves, all these guys were were um, at their best, they they could do everything right for the next two or three years and still not have a team that was that was as good as that. I mean, because because nobody has managed to do that, and, and and possibly nobody will for for many years to come. So like, it's 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 impossible to compete with their own history. They need to give their fans something else now. I think they need to start standing for something again. And what they're going to start standing for is Catalonia. I mean, they've always stood for it, but maybe they need to stand for a little bit more so now. Mm. Um, because then, you know, look, uh, if, you, you know, your team is full of um, Catalan boys uh, from, from the Youth Academy um, and they've just been smashed 4-1 by Atletico Madrid. Sure, it's painful, but at the same time, you can feel proud. <laughs> you can feel proud. And also those boys, <laughs> those boys, in addition to being Catalan, they're cheap. And so what I'm saying is that there's still quite a lot there to, to get excited about. There's maybe, maybe you're not going to have, um, you know, messy fans in America. Maybe, maybe you're, you're going to have lost these people. They're not going to be buying your merchandise. They're not going to be watching your, your illegal streams anymore. Uh, but, you know, you're just going to have to say, okay, we can live with that. We are Barcelona. We're bigger than that. Uh, get, a, get your red and yellow flags out and let's cheer for, um, for independence because that's something to aim towards. Well, I mean, that's one, way of, uh, <laughs> that's one way for them to do it, I suppose. I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, this idea that, you know, football is a global game now and, and fans are global. But there are people who are fans of players more than they are fans of of clubs, as appears to be the case with all the uh, defectors, the Instagram defectors over to uh, PSG. Uh, so, I mean, from their perspective, like you say, I mean, the French League should be 
a uh, walk in the park, I guess, with the kind of talent that they have in the team. And not winning the Champions League this season would be, not that I have anything against Messi, because I think he's the best player I've ever seen. Uh, mm. It would still be hilarious if they didn't do it. I mean, there is that element of it to me that, you know, there was a, an inevitability about where he was going to go and a sort of like, well, this is how football is now. And I know that some people get bored with the concept or discussion of things like sports washing and, and all of that. But it is the reality that we're facing in Manchester City, in PSG. Um, you know, th- there are financial disparities that are just bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, which reduce the competitiveness of the sport that we all still try and love. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's like, it's it's because there are no rules really blocking just uh, uh, um, money from doing whatever it wants. I mean, we've sort of dismantled all the things that used to prevent, um, you know, we, Europe used to be lots of little walled off areas. Um, it was quite difficult to move money between countries. It was quite difficult to move footballers between countries. We used to have, you know, restrictions on the number of foreigners that a team could buy. Yeah. All restri- you know, it was difficult to buy a club in a foreign country. You know, all these types of uh, obstacles to the free movement of labor and capital, which have largely been uh, done away with. I mean, within the EU, you know, we, you know, we don't want to go into all the, the legal reasons why, why this has happened, but the effect of it has been to create where you had lots of little walled off areas. Now it's just one big open landscape where um, rich, the, the richest and power, most powerful forces can really do whatever they want. So you could have in the past a great team just grow up at Ajax. Um, I mean, this was the first, this, th- that, this was rather the last great team that we've really seen. I mean, I suppose it was the Porto team. Um, which was a slightly different, a slightly different thing. Jose Mourinho's uh, Porto team, which which managed to win the the Champions League, um, but you know something like what happened at Ajax is is hard to see really happening again. I suppose it actually nearly did happen again just the other just just the other year. Tottenham ended up knocking them out of the the semi final of the Champions League, but that was a kind of a freakish event. And obviously the players who have who were part of that have now uh, since mostly left. And I mean. So, you know, having kind of got rid of all the rules, it turns out that the richest uh, clubs, which is to say uh, PSG, Man City and Chelsea, mm. you know, uh, which, which again, I mean, who would have who would have picked that out in the mid 90s? Um, having got rid of all the rules, th- these clubs uh, just get to, you know, we can see that they're dominating now. Uh, you know, they're dominating the, tr- the transfer market. They have their pick of the best players, um, Grealish, Messi, um, Lukaku, you know, no one else is even in, no one else is in the market for these players. These are the, these, these clubs have it all their own way. And unless there's some big, some effort to, to change this via legislation, which to be honest, given the legal firepower available to these very wealthy institutions, it's, it's difficult to see it happening. And unless there is something like that, I, I don't really see how we're going to break out of this pattern. You know, as long as, as long as uh, states, like Qatar and, and Abu Dhabi uh, want to, you know, just inject 
unheard of sums into football, they're going to be the ones who who get to decide the order of things. Yeah, I mean, the PSG president said uh, today when there were questions about uh, FFP, he said, what you as a media need to focus on is not only the negative side, but the positive side that Messi will bring to the club. Uh, Through it all, we look at financial fair play and always we will fulfil financial fair play regulations, says the president of PSG. Yeah, financial fair play is just is just a joke. You know, I mean, mm. isn't isn't that sort? Isn't he also the the the, the He's on the top UEFA guy on the UEFA at the UEFA executive committee? You yeah. know, I mean, he he was promoted after um, the Juventus guy Agnelli yeah. uh, had to walk out after the Super League. They got Nasser, who would have joined, clearly would have joined the Super League, but couldn't. Had no choice because he's he also. Is uh, at be in like be in have have huge contracts to show you know league and the Champions League and all this kind of stuff you know he can't he can't walk out on these competitions you know what I mean like he he literally had no choice um, PSG clearly would be enthusiastic participants in the Super League and in fact it's a it's a travesty that this team isn't involved in some kind of Super League because we all would like to see this team play in some serious competition see they've they've kind of destroyed the top level that used to exist you know that that sort of Barcelona Real Madrid level. I mean, those clubs have fallen into uh, have fallen into disarray. Barcelona more so than Madrid. But, you know, Madrid aren't much better off, really. I mean, they, they are looking pretty dowdy these days compared to just a few years ago. Mm. Um, but without PSG have, have kind of ruined that without creating a corresponding highest level elsewhere because there's only one club. There's a, it's only one club in France. So I know they're not even the Champions League, won the French League last season. Monaco won it uh, a couple of years ago. So it's not so... PSG's dominance is total. Like they have managed to to screw it up a couple of times, um, you know, in the in the last few years. But realistically, you know, there's no serious competition for them. This team is going to be playing exhibition matches every week. You know, kind of matches which no, nobody really cares. You know, the outcome of them is is, is preordained. It's, it's about how many goals they can score. Really, all of the interest is going to be like who's. You know who's who's in favor, like who's doing well, who's falling out with who. Yeah. What are the cliques? What are cliques are developing? Like it's going to be the biggest sort of. Th- there's not even any football to distract from that. There's going to be so few contests until they get involved in the Champions League, and those those matches when when they are in the Champions League and the knockouts are going to be so pressurized that like the, okay, the entire world is going to be watching. So this is another success. It's another success for Qatar. You know, this is this is what they wanted. They wanted to, they wanted to raise the profile. I mean, remember, they, did they start with Barcelona? Were Barcelona the first team? Did they, they sponsor? The sponsor. They were sponsors of Barcelona. For Qatar, sure. Qatar Airways. I can't remember if they they had already bought PSG by then. But look, the the objective was to raise the profile, and now they've got a team that absolutely everybody who's interested in football all around the world is going to be watching in the Champions League. Most of those people hoping that they fail, but it doesn't matter because they're watching, and that's that was yeah. that was what it was all about. I think the 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 purchase of PSG and the sponsorship of Barcelona are kind of concurrent. I think more or less early 2010, 11, that kind of uh, that kind of yeah. Uh, area. So yeah, look, Messi's had Qatar in his jersey before, mm. and now he's got yeah. Qatar in his heart. So uh, and in his wallet, which is good for him. Um, well, look, let's talk a bit uh, about the Premier League and what lies ahead this season. 
Um, you already talked about Manchester City and they've spent £100 million on Jack Grealish. Chelsea are about to spend £120 million on a player that they used to own and sold, which is, uh, you know, just what they can do, having already spent hundreds of millions on, on new attackers. Manchester United spent big on Jadon Sancho, uh, Rafael Varane as well. Uh, Liverpool have brought in a, a defender, but they do have Virgil van Dijk back also. Um, I mean, do you look at the Premier League now? It used to be, I mean, there used to be a top four. There used to be the big four. And then that's sort of changed over the years and it's developed and it's sort of become a big six, a top six kind of thing. But last season, you know, Arsenal finished eighth, Tottenham finished seventh. We had Leicester and we had West Ham, you know, uh, breaking into that sort of top six, if you want to call it that. But maybe it's not a top six anymore. Maybe it's back to just being... That, that top four with those four clubs and everybody else is kind of punching around against each other looking to hang on. Well, it looks that way to me now. Um, although we talk about a four and I, and I do wonder how secure Liverpool are in the four because, mm. you know, they're, the, the team is just getting older and older. Like, uh, I think they were, already, they were already the oldest squad in the league last season. I think that's correct. Certainly it's not far off. Um, and... Not much has changed. Okay, Konate has come in as a young defender. Um, but, you know, when you look at the, the sort of reinforcements that are happening at other clubs, I mean, the, the, other, the, the other three in, in the four we're talking about, I, I just... I, want, I mean, you, you always expect when, with Klopp as the manager that Liverpool are going to have a, a credible challenge. It's always been that way. I mean, last season they had a... They had a terrible season and still managed to finish third, finishing really strongly. They they did get it together. Um, as you said, Van Dijk is back. Um, but I just feel as though, you know, these other teams are, start, are, 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 um, are kind of flexing muscles that Liverpool don't have. Mm. You know, obviously we, we've talked about City and Chelsea are kind of uh, our particular cases, but Manchester United as well. Um, you know, so continue to have a bigger economy than Liverpool, which we've seen. Uh, with Sancho coming in, uh, a player who absolutely everybody would have wanted to sign, um, and Varane, you know that they can that they can spend so much money on a on a central defender. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I think if it wasn't for the fact that Klopp has has repeatedly um, obtained better results than you would have expected, yeah, I'd be looking at Liverpool and thinking now they they may they may be about to detach from the group above. Do you expect them to make a kind of signing that might put them back in touch? Do you think that's something that Liverpool will be planning? Because, you know, when you look at the attacking players, they are heading towards, uh, I suppose in an ideal world, Liverpool might be looking to sell one or, you know, at least one of them, probably to a Barcelona or a Real Madrid when they could afford to to spend that kind of a money and do, uh, you know, refresh the squad a little bit. But, you know, are they going to have to make a signing of some stature to to keep up with the the more, uh, more wealthy Joneses, if you like? I don't see it. I mean, I think they, I think they need to, but I don't think they will. Um, I just don't think they, they could afford it. Uh, I mean, they, they have given you contracts to... Allison to Fabinho. Uh, I mean, it's important to to, to tie down these players. Um, Van Dijk. I think they're offering new contract to him. So, so, and and the thing with Liverpool is they do have that enormous wage bill. I mean, they have been committing money to wages rather than transfers. That's where they like to concentrate their spending. Mm. And so there's this massive spending going on 
um, just just maintaining the squad that they've got. And what they previously had been very good at doing is selling players to Bournemouth for you know fifteen or twenty million. Yeah, players who never and, even played, players that nobody had ever heard of, were going for like twenty million pounds. I don't know how they did that. It's amazing. It's, incre- it's incredible, and, and and they and they kept doing it even after none of these players had sort of succeeded anywhere. You know what I mean? And for some reason, clubs continue to pay this sort of premium. Well, that's obviously finished now. You know, they're not they're not um, the, the the market is gone because everybody is is trying to deal with the after effects of the kind of e- of the economic shock. You know, ju- just this market for old rope, which which had kept Liverpool ticking over, is gone. Um, I mean, it's 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 the same problem that a lot of clubs have. But you know, this, this is what you have when you've you've a shattered economy and only three clubs have any money. Mm. <laughs> it's it just uh, yeah. So no, I don't I don't expect to see them bring anyone in. I mean, the question is, you know, can they just? I mean, obviously, a repeat of last season is it would be a disaster when they had so many injuries. They've already had an injury, I think, to Andy Robertson. Yeah, um, bad. so so uh, no, it's hard to see them really challenging for the actual league. I mean, you know, you're looking at, at, at City and going, if they, if they get Harry Kane as well. I mean, the, I think what City are doing is, uh, I mean, they're becoming England, right? I mean, the, the, I think what City are doing here, like Guardiola, for instance, doesn't really seem like the ideal manager for, for Jack Grealish to me. He just seems, you know... He, he I, I, seems- yeah, I was going to ask you about that because there seems to be like a... Yeah, a, a bit of a, a a distance between the way that Grealish plays the game and lives his life and the way that Guardiola instructs his teams, if you know what I mean. I think there's probably more thinking to do as a Man City player than there would be for Jack Grealish to do at Aston Villa, for example, where he's told to, you know, go do your stuff, Jack. But mm. trying to work out the complex super pep maneuvers that he wants to put in place uh, yeah i think that i think that's going to be an interesting one to see how that plays out i i really really do think it is um you know i mean because you've seen pep in full flow you know giving tactical instructions can you can you honestly tell me that you can concentrate and and follow what he's saying it's it's mm. You know, it's it's tricky enough. I mean, I think certain types of players are better at than others. Greenish wouldn't have struck me as that type of player, particularly if he's going to play him as a left winger, um, which it seems he, he is going to do. Um, I mean, if, okay, the wing, wingers in Guardiola's teams often have to sort of stand, stand out on them, um, you know, get chalk on their boots or whatever. Uh, it's a boring job. It's like no, you're there to widen the pitch. You're not. You're not here to uh, get on the ball and and throw in a few tricks. Uh, you've got a very specific tactical role, and I'll substitute you if you if you start drifting in field looking for looking for the ball. You know, this is something that a lot of them have struck I me. Mean, I remember Thierry Henry speaking about that. Yeah, getting getting substituted by, by Guardiola for doing just that. Thinking, well, come on, I, I haven't touched the ball in ten minutes. Like, what am I doing standing out here? Let me go look for it, and then couple of minutes later his number is up after he scored like, a goal or something as well wasn't it i mean he scored a yeah. goal or, and then he's taken off he's taken off so i mean maybe guardiola has chill has he chilled that bit i don't, I don't know <laughs> but what he, i think i think the, the key to this is to remember how pissed off guardiola was when man city won the domestic treble um this would have been i think i guess 2019 um, and if you remember, they beat Liverpool in the in the sort of the last game. They, you know, they, I mean, they they beat Liverpool over the mm. the last third of the season by winning all their winning all their matches. Um, this this great sustained sprint finish. Um, 
and and then went on to destroy Watford. And the response to Watford, to the 6-0 uh, win over Watford in the FA Cup final, was not, wow, amazing, beautiful, well done, congratulations, guys, what an achievement. It was, it's disgusting what you've done to our game. Um, you know, it, it, it's horrible to see the, the effects of financial doping in action. Poor Watford. Uh, what kind of a monster have you <laughs> unleashed, Guardiola? You know, and this was kind of the tone of a lot of the the commentary. Whereas with Liverpool, it was like, oh, heroic Liverpool. Um, they came so close. Now onto Madrid for the Champions League final. And then when they won this huge celebration, and Guardiola was so pissed off by this. You know, he was like, hang on a second. Did nobody see that we just, the season that we've just done? Like, we got no credit for that. You know, he's, this is what he's pissed off about, mm. getting no credit, which is a novel experience for him. Because, of course, he was the manager of Barcelona and no one's ever, no one has ever got more credit uh, for Anything. their achievements. Right, I mean, and right, I mean, Guardiola himself, you remember that scene in the City documentary uh, where he, he, gives a, he gives a talk to his players and he's like, I want to tell you about that guy. Uh, he was 37 years old and he destroyed football. He destroyed, it's me. The guy is me. And you're like, how is this supposed to make your, your guys feel 10 feet tall? Boasting, boasting about what you did 10 years ago. But look, I think he was saying, look, you know, if, if I can do it, you can do it. I mean, yeah, if you believe that, you believe mm. it. But look, um, he, he got lots of credit at Barcelona. Barcelona were, were celebrated, you know, UNICEF. They were up against Mourinho. Everyone hated him. You know, it just made Pep was like obviously the the white angel, uh, you know, in the white hat. Mourinho in the black in the black hat, the bad guy. Um, and then he went to Bayern, and Bayern, you know, are Bayern are the biggest club in in Germany as well. So, you know, they've got lots of the, the, the media are always prepared to celebrate Bayern's success. You know, and even though with Bayern, people are like, oh, you know, has Pep really succeeded? I mean, we did, we won the Champions, we won the treble under the previous guy, and Pep comes in, we haven't got to the final of the Champions League. So, you know, there were there were critics, but it wasn't as though people were like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, he goes to City, wins the league, sets records. And it's like people don't even notice. Like people are going on about like Mourinho at Man United or or Solskjaer or Kl- or, or Klopp. Klopp is the guy who gets all the credit in in England, you know. And it's like man, it's like it's like sorry, hello, excuse me. Have you noticed that that like we're here too too months? And it's like oh yeah, City of course, of course they won, you know. That and, and I think this really wrecks his head. So what City are doing now is signing players like Grealish and possibly Harry Kane, and they're going to turn around to the English. Uh, fans and English media and say, ignore us now. Ignore us now. We've got Grealish, we've got Kane, we've got Sterling, we've got Foden, we've got Stones, we've got Walker. And that's just the English players we've got so far. There may be more. Yeah, there yeah, may yeah. be more. Who knows? But but ignore we are now we are now the center of your national football conversation. We have got all the heroes of your celebrated national team. Remember, the England team has kind of gone on, to, gone to another level yet since since the Euros. Mm. We've not we've not only got like half the team. We've got all the stars of the team. You know what I mean? And so ignore us now. Now, now, are you telling us that we're gonna we're gonna win the league and you're not gonna give us any credit? I don't think so. I do not think so. You think if a, if a Man City team with the England captain in it and you know Grealish and Foden and Sterling and all these guys was to get a hundred points, that it would be as tumbleweed as last time? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that's gonna happen again. And that's why I think they're they're um, that's why I think Pep goes for a player like like Grealish that he. Um, 
you know, everyone looking at it is like, really, do you think they're going to get on? <laughs> but I, so I think, and, 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 you know, Kane might be like, really, do they, do they need Kane? Do they need to pay that much? But I think that's what they want about him. It's not just the fact that he's the center forward and he'll score lots of goals mm. and blah, 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 what he can do on the field. It's what he can do for them off the field in terms of making them, making them relevant and putting them right in the middle of, of the, uh, of the sort of national conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think you've uh, created a knot in my stomach and I'm sure many of the people listening to this now fearing, you know, uh, what, what young English player with huge talent and potential could Manchester City target next. Uh, and as Arsenal fans, <laughs> uh, that's, that's terrifying because, you know, obviously Bukayo Saka is a player that I think uh, City would absolutely love to get their hands on at some point if this is genuinely a strategy that they're pursuing and can afford to pursue as well because of the because of the prices and i mean it, it comes down uh now i think the the transfer market because of everything that's happened in europe because of what's happened with the pandemic the financial implications for all the clubs and you know the lack of tv deals in some countries and and all of the rest of it the more and more and more the premier league is becoming a this insular thing beyond giving your players away as Arsenal did in January with some of them like the only people who can afford the players you don't want anymore are other Premier League clubs so it's Mm. a really weird strange market I think this summer in particular like obviously things have happened there have been some deals and there have been some there's been some activity but it has not been anywhere near as as busy as people might have expected certainly you know from from an Arsenal perspective there are a lot of players still at the club that people thought would not be here at the start of the season now the window of course goes until August 31st but it does um, paint a picture of of what exactly the problems are, not just for Arsenal, but but in particular, because there there are so many players who could have been on the outs, but the clubs in Europe either can't afford the transfer fee or can't afford the wages or, or probably both. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, yeah, people are, the, the sort of musical chairs game has stopped and people are kind of like, oh, well, um, you know, where do we, where do we go from here? Uh I don't know. I, I don't know what the effect of what what the sort of long term effect of it is going to be. I mean, maybe after this sort of pause, things will sort of begin to creak back into motion the way they were. But I don't know. Like, I mean, we we have gone through a kind of an insane period of inflation in football. I mean, not only driven by PSG and, and by City and uh, and Chelsea, but by you know the Premier League's TV deal going so insane. You know, a few a few years ago, like yeah, it just yeah, kind yeah. of hit a, hit a new level of crazy. And you, that's when you know forty million became like the baseline price for a for a player. <laughs> you know, like yeah. a, a, a a a man city, like the median the median. I read somewhere recently the median player in Man City squad now is forty one million. I think was the was the transfer fee. That's that's like the the middle guy in the squad. Yeah. And so. Um, I mean that's just that's kind of like nuts, <laughs> and then the you know the wages obviously are are reflecting this. But you know players are hearing about like oh well hang on, um, Pogba De Gea like on three hundred and fifty grand or something like Alexis this. Sanchez of Manchester United the ridiculous money he was on, you know. And if these guys are getting paid that, it's like well you know surely I deserve two hundred grand, but two hundred grand a week is a lot. Like it's and then it's, it's sort of okay, it's fine as long as as long as. Uh, as long as uh, it, it, the economy just keeps growing and, and, you know, the TV deal is more every year and all that, then it's fine. But, like, that's a pretty optimistic outlook, uh, as we've seen. Mm. You know, you don't necessarily even have to have uh, something as, as kind of 
out of the blue as like a pandemic uh, to have found that whole situation uh, a little bit risky the way that it was going. Well, look, I mean, we'll wait and see what else happens in the in the transfer market. Are you expecting things to sort of pick up right at the end in the last couple of weeks? Just the market itself driving certain deals and clubs having to compromise and, uh, you know, dominoes beginning to fall, you know, as, as players move around a bit, there's a bit more money sloshing around. Um, I think Arsene Wenger said something a couple of years ago that people rolled their eyes at a bit. And he said more and more players are going to go to the end of their contracts. Yeah, and I well, think I mean, time has proven him to be absolutely right, and and particularly Premier League players are going to do that because, uh, you know, now there isn't necessarily the assurance of the big bosman the way there was. So if you're on a very healthy contract, you might as well stick it out whether you play or not. Yeah, uh, I mean the Germans have been doing it for a long time, right? Mm. I mean they, you know, uh, it's been a kind of a. Um, uh, kind of a popular thing for for Bundesliga players to do this uh, and it just it makes sense I mean why bother um, letting the clubs pay each other a lot of the money that you could be getting you know that's li- literally like this instead of that money being in the transfer fee why not just put it in my wages um, I mean uh, you know who's a reason I mean obviously Messi Messi's a kind of a strange example but Messi couldn't move last season and uh, when he wanted to move, when he asked to move, he couldn't mm. move because of the transfer fee. Um, and now this season, when he didn't want to move, well, at least there was somebody who, who could come and pay him the kind of, you know, so, something along the lines of what he's accustomed to receiving because he was free. And, you know, a lot of these guys, if they want to get a pay rise, um, maybe will have to move for free. I mean, on the, on that, I mean, you see Vinaldum and Herrera at PSG. PSG have been playing this this game. Uh, you know they've they, they've been uh, I mean they've they, all their recent arrivals have been free transfers right apart from Hakimi Hakimi they, and they bought a guy I think from from Porto a midfielder from Porto but Messi Vinaldum Sergio Ramos that's going to be Roma. interesting Sergio Ramos and Messi in the same team and Donnarumma on you know in inverted commas free transfers I mean the the wages must be ridiculous but yeah and and Juventus have done it for a long time as well haven't they they've they've uh, picked players off on on free transfers for quite some time. Uh, yeah. They've been doing it hasn't it. hasn't necessarily been no such a great strategy for them. See, I'm not I'm not convinced necessarily that it's like a, a gra- I, I'm yet to see the team that's been put together on free transfers that's that's really it turned out to be really good. But it it is something that makes sense for players too. I mean, look the the counter example to it is like is Harry Kane. You know, I mean, this is a guy who has signed over his rights, basically, to Daniel Levy. You know, he, he's given Daniel Levy the power to decide what happens to him. For You know, he signed a six-year contract. That was not smart. Like, you know, you just... So, so I mean, that's a real... It, it's That's a head on a pike, you know? Mm. Uh, saying, a warning sign, do not sign... Do not sign for six years. <laughs> you know, just don't. Uh, I mean, it depends. Like, I mean, if you're if you're 38, please sign for... sign By all means, sign for six years. But, like... Um, it, you know, you can see what Mbappe is doing at PSG. He's in the last year of his contract. Has he renewed yet? <sighs> Waiting. He's going to wait and see. You can see what Pogba's doing at Manchester United. He's in the last year of his contract. Has he renewed? I think he's going to wait and see as well. Um, so, yeah, it seems to be a, um, uh, you know, I can't blame the players for doing it. I, if I was a player, I would try to do exactly the same. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI powered all star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at Shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. What are your thoughts about Arsenal going into this new season? I mean, I think we can safely say the, the league title is going to be Man City. Chelsea or, or Manchester United and probably Man City, I think. But Arsenal, having finished eighth for two successive seasons, have got to get themselves back into Europe. There's a bloated squad there. There's a big squad. And, and the signings so far haven't really done enough to get people um, filled with the kind of preseason enthusiasm you might want. Uh, you know, I think uh, Ben White could turn out to be a very good player. There's a couple of young players that have come in and, you know, signing some young players with potential is certainly a lot better than uh, some of the recent moves that Arsenal have made in terms of, you know, giving long, big contracts to old guys who are, who are in very obvious decline. So from that perspective, there is some encouragement there. But um, what, what, what do you expect from Arsenal in the season ahead? Well, the last thing I saw about Arsenal was that they're trying to buy Ramsdale. Yes, it, they, there is certainly interest in, in Aaron Ramsdale, yeah. Why? I think they are looking at him as the successor to Bernd Leno. I don't think Leno's going to sign a new deal. I think they're looking... Uh, he's doing the German thing. Yeah, I think, you know, he's two years left on his deal. I think the club aren't necessarily inclined to give him a new one. I don't think he's necessarily inclined to sign one anyway. So, you know, Arsenal need a number two goalkeeper. And I think people are looking at Ramsdale and thinking, why are they spending 20 million plus on a number two goalkeeper? If they're doing makes this deal, no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense. It doesn't. You know, but it doesn't unless the the plan is to make him the number one goalkeeper in a year's time. Let him understudy and compete with Bernd Leno. He's still twenty three. He's very young for a goalkeeper. That's the only way that it makes sense to me because you know football clubs do crazy things all the time, and managers and and what have you do crazy things all the time, but. In the in the annals of crazy stuff, spending twenty twenty five million pounds on a number two goalkeeper is fucking right up there. So it, I just can't believe that that's the the plan. The plan has to be to make him the number one, or, or at least you know they're buying him with that in mind. Yeah. If they if they buy him, 
Well, it must. I mean, it must. It must be. There's no, there's no other way it makes sense to buy him. Mm. But I'm I'm not sure he, that making him the number one goalkeeper makes sense either. I mean, it, you know, the the one thing that you immediately mm. think of about Ramsdale is like I I don't think I've ever seen this guy play play a short pass from the back. You know, literally, if you look at his if you look at his stats, it's like ninety because he was playing for Sheffield United. Mm. Ninety um, percent of his of his kicks, you know, were long. You know, it was I, I, given given Arteta's almost obsession with like with you know playing out. <laughs> like <laughs> Arteta, the Arsenal team last season took playing out from the back to some insane extremes. I mean, I remember their game at Anfield mm. uh, when <laughs> you're just going, guys, what are you doing? Like this is crazy. You know, I, you know, I kind of respect that Arteta was able to was able to prevail upon the players to do that. Mm. You know, I mean, that they were prepared to follow his instructions and, and play that way was, in a way, it said something about, like, the the authority that he has over them. I don't think it was effective, obviously, in the in the game, as it turned out. Um, but, 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 you know, given, given that Arteta does like to do that... Um, I wonder why Ramsdale would be the player who'd go I mean, for him that. Like, yeah, they, he's just not really. They must like, be taking that into account. I mean, again, perhaps I'm giving know, them too say, much you credit. You must. You say must. But surely, if you want to buy, if you want your team to play that way, you've you've got to uh, at least have looked at whether or not that goalkeeper can do it. I don't have his passing stats here or anything like that, and I probably should. But I spoke to. Uh, uh, Sheffield United fan for the podcast a few weeks back and he seemed to suggest that like he because he he has been told to play in a certain way at Sheffield United it's not that he can't do it it's just that he doesn't do it very often because of the way that the the, the team is expected to play no so. it's true I mean he, he may be able to do it it's just I'm actually looking at his stats here launch uh, I'm looking at FB ref Right, uh, which is quite good for these types of things. But percentage of passes that were launched, seventy percent. That's of all all right. passes. That's that's not including goal kicks. Um, you know, goal kicks, uh, launch percentage of goal kicks, ninety percent. Uh, average length of pass, fifty two point eight yards. <laughs> <laughs> that that's long, right. all right. Average length of average length of pass is fifty two point eight yards, which puts him in the ninety fifth percentile. So okay. Um, Maybe Arsenal are considering a change of focus. Maybe Ramsdale has got qualities which he hasn't been able to show us so far at Sheffield United. It just did seem like a strange one to me. I mean, although it's the problem that Arsenal have had, I think, over the last while. I mean, one of the problems that they've had has been this, like, you know, the kind of decline of Obama Yang, um, but also the, the presence of Lacazette, and then the sort of, Basic incompatibility. Like I don't. Incompatibility is a strong word, but I don't think that Lacazette and Aubameyang are are a good combination. Like I think they can play together. It's okay. You know they can they can kind of manage it, but I don't think they really make fireworks together. You know That's what I mean? True. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. Yeah. But they they've had these two guys, and and like they really only should have they should have gone with one of them. You know they should have just gone with one of them and tried to bring in someone who could combine better and like it's I don't really see that that has improved Um, Shaka is still there I mean Shaka's reputation is is better I mean I remember talking to you about Shaka I don't Mm. know if it was last year the year before saying like how is Shaka still there like are we we seriously still doing this and now like Shaka I mean probably the game against France and the Euros is the best I've ever seen him play you know what I mean Mm. obviously he got suspended then for the next game um 
but you know, I mean, he 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 did show a bit of quality there. But I I just still don't don't believe that like suddenly Shaq is going. What is he in his fifth, sixth season? Sixth now? season now, yeah. Is he gonna just, is, is he gonna suddenly be like way better than he's been? Like, it's pretty but that's doubtful. It. Like you, you yeah. know, you'd have to be pretty optimistic to to think that was going to happen. It is hard to see where you know, significant improvement comes from when you're basically going into the same season or into the season with the same players. You know, Ben White has come in to replace David Luiz and I suppose the the the, the benefit he has or the, the thing that he can bring to the team is that he can run, which Luiz, you know, just ran out of legs um, because he was so old. Uh, but, you know, the passing range is there. But beyond that, I mean, like everyone was in a, a meltdown during the week when Thomas Partey got injured because you're on the verge of starting a brand new season with, with Shaka and Mohamed Elneny as your central midfield. And that's, you know, it's it's very hard to get excited about that. As it turns out, the new guy, Lukonga, looks like he might come in and, and get the nod there. So that at least is is something. But there is, you know, there's, there's young talent at Arsenal, which I hope, uh, Arteta can lean into Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, Kieran Tierney—not young, young, but but certainly yeah. at the right stage of his career. And you know, if there's one thing to be slightly encouraged about uh, this summer in the way that Arsenal were doing business, it was that they were targeting players of that age to come in and and perhaps grow up together a little bit. But you know, pressure is on Arteta. He's got to finish in the European places next season, or or well, I think it's curtains. Yeah, you know, and I mean, the fact of that, you know, not being in Europe is surely going to help with that. You know what I mean? Should like, do, yeah. It, it, like, because I felt a bit sorry for Arteta last season, um, given that he was trying to, he, he's in there, he's trying to build a new team. Basically, the, he's starting almost from zero. He's trying to build a new team and he's doing it in an empty stadium. He He's doing it... Um, with all these weird restrictions on, you know, how much time you can spend around the players, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know how, how strictly Arsenal were following mm. all this within the club, you know. But, like, it's the point about it is, it was a weird uh, an alienating situation. Like, a, a, a team that, a team which is full of, like, new players or, like, is sort of hesitantly trying to come together could do with a bit of encouragement from supporters, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if, if like those players had the feeling that Arsenal's supporters were behind them, which I, which I think to be fair, um, has been a rare enough feeling for Arsenal players over the last, you know, 15 years or so, you know, there hasn't really been that sense of, uh, unity at Arsenal, let's say, or it has, it has been there, but fleetingly. Um, but if, if they had the sense that the crowd was really behind them, you know, it, I think it could make a real difference. Like, I, I just feel like I felt it's a bit like with Stephen Kenny with Ireland, um, I mean, okay, Arteta's results have been better than Stephen Kenny's. But again, like, I find it quite difficult to sort of judge a manager and a team based on results in pandemic empty stadium football. Like, it's just so, it's kind of so unnatural. Yeah. That, that I, I kind of feel as though he, he, we need to see. Because remember when Arteta came in at first, you know, well, you know, it was, it was Chris, around Christmas 2019. Like the results were good at the beginning. Obviously, they won the cup. Then, okay, that was that was behind closed doors as well. But like last season, the progress had stalled. 
but I just think it was a really difficult situation. And and, and the season, uh, Arteta, the, the kind of coach that he is, you know, he's a, he's a Guardiola type, like in the sense that he's full of he's full of ideas and information which he wants the players to absorb. But he didn't really have much time to train them. You know, there, there wasn't really a lot of time to work with them. It was play, recover, play, recover, get injured. You know, um, and so okay, we get to I think I think. Alas, this is a proper crack at it for him. I mean, the salvation for Arsenal, you know, or the the kind of hope has obviously all come from their academy players. Yeah, I mean, you can't you can't expect like there to be another Saka or Smith Rowe along soon, but like to get two of that quality in that space of time is is pretty good. You know, that's that gives you something to work with. Pepe had finally started to actually score some goals. If I remember, I mean, the seasons kind of blur into each other. (laughs) Last season was just such a weird, like kind of unreal season. But I do think that if I'm not mistaken, Pepe started to score quite a lot towards the end of it. And if he could keep doing that, then that would really help. I think he ended ended up with 16 goals, I think, in the season, which is not bad considering, you know, he spent a lot of the first half of the season sitting on his arse on the bench while Willian played. So, uh, you know, there are swings and roundabouts when it comes to sympathy for Mikel Arteta. But I do think, you know, I think you're right to point out that there are circumstances or have been circumstances which would have affected a, a brand new or a rookie manager a bit more than others at a club which, you know, has been through a rocky period given the, the post-Arsene Wenger years and everything else. But but, you know, this time this time last year, the head of football, Raul Sanyehi, all of a sudden was no longer at the club in the middle of a transfer window, which is you know, far from helpful, uh, regardless of what you think about him. But this time around, you know, Arteta is going to have his players. The signings that he brings in are going to be his players. He's got to give them the green light. So with that, with the, uh, you know, the lack of European football is bad, obviously, but it means that, like, for every single Premier League game Arsenal play, they'll be A, fresh, and B, really well-prepared and well-organized, or at least they should be, right? Yeah, uh, so, know, lack, of, lack of European football, I mean, you think about it, um, that was the case for Leicester when they won the title. Uh, and Chelsea? One of, the, one of the big reasons when they won the title. Chelsea, yeah, when they won, they won, the, won yeah. the title over under Conte. Um, when Liverpool got into the Champions League for the first time under Klopp, uh, they they didn't have European football. They remember they had lost the Europa League final, so mm. they they could have been in the Champions League, but instead because they finished eighth or something. Wasn't that they, the same with um, uh, Brendan Rodgers as well that season? Liverpool finished second. Yeah, the, that, I think that's that's true. They only played forty. They got knocked out of the cups almost instantly as mm. well. So before forty one games or something like that. So the, it does actually, I think, give a platform for a manager, particularly in Arteta's position of of. You know, I'm still going to put him at the beginning of his, even though he's actually been there for like coming on for two years. Uh, but I'm I'm still going to count him as as sort of in the starting out period mm. that this could be an advantage to them. I mean, really, you know, they were in the Europa. They, they got to the Europa semis last season. Yeah. And what 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 was that? Okay, I'm sure they they made some money from UEFA, but overall, it was just a massive energy drain leading leading nowhere you know what i mean it would have been obviously worth it if they'd won but they didn't so it was a, it was a drain so that's a competition which is good to win and otherwise is better not to play yeah so 
Uh, so not being in it, I, I think, is probably good. Yeah, I mean, well, that's a, the, the, the point is, I guess, is that it leaves Mikel Arteta with nowhere to hide. You know, when it comes to results and performances and improvement and people wanting to see improvement, like the conditions leading up to this season, you know, were complicated. And whether people um, want to hear that or like that or not, it is true. And that's not to make excuses uh, for anything because Arsenal finishing eighth is just not good enough. But there were mitigating factors. Um, there was, uh, you know, the pandemic was was the same for everyone, but um, there was a lot going on as well at Arsenal. So uh, I think he's he's really got to produce for this season ahead. The final thing I just wanted to talk to you about, uh, just your thoughts very quickly on, on Rafa Benitez at Everton. How do you think that's going to go, given the... The history uh, he has at Liverpool and obviously uh, between those two clubs and and fans of, uh, you know, a club like Everton do not want a former Liverpool manager uh, and somebody who, you know, produced one of Liverpool's greatest ever nights and greatest ever successes. Do you think that's something that's that's going to go away? Is that just going to be an issue for the fans? Uh, you know, Benitez strikes me as the kind of guy who doesn't really give a shit what people think about him one way or the other because he did that thing at Chelsea as well. So uh, how do you think that one's going to go? I don't think it's going to go well. <laughs> I don't think it's going to go well. And, and I don't think that's really Benitez's fault because I think Benitez is a good manager. Um, and you mentioned that Chelsea, he was, you know, the Chelsea fans hated him. They just didn't want him. You know, it's like, okay, mm. it didn't matter. It didn't matter that he was actually a good manager. They just didn't want this guy managing their club. He was, whatever Chelsea stood for, it was against him. You know, he, he was the he was the opposite of Chelsea, you know, as far as they were concerned. Um, and he did do well. He won the Europa League uh, and got good results in the league. But he had much better players at Chelsea than he has at Everton. You know, I'm looking, mm. at, I'm looking at Everton's squad and I'm thinking, I don't know, like, how have you managed to spend so much money and end up with this squad? Um like it's it's okay i i mean i could i, I just i just think that the benitez is just up against it from the beginning and look if you look at the recent history of everton you could really do without that as you start off as a manager you know because it, it's chewed up several several managers i mean the current managers of real madrid and barcelona are among the uh, the recent casualties of Everton. Okay, Ancelotti would still be there if he hadn't if he hadn't walked out. Um, but Koeman is obviously uh, you know is not remembered fondly there. Let's say um, because you know it's it, it's a, it's a team that has a lot of ex- particularly since the money came in. There's there's high expectation, but still not really the quality to to match that. Mm. And and like Benitez has been able has been particularly good at making teams quickly hard to beat. But is that going to be enough to, given that some of the crowd start off already going, we don't want this guy. This is, this is just all wrong. It doesn't matter. It's like, you know, um, George Graham managing Tottenham or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, no, it's, it's, it's just insurmountable like, for some people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I, some people would, would be like, oh, that's stupid. You know, he's a good manager. They're all good. They're all professionals. Give him a chance. But like, there's lots of other people going to be like, no, like there's loads of managers out there. Why do we have to have this guy? And so that's just what it means is that every defeat, every setback, and there, there obviously will be defeats and setbacks, will will have, you'll immediately have like loads of people who are even angrier than they would. All, I mean, people get angry when their team loses. It doesn't matter if they like started off loving the manager, thinking he was amazing. But if they started off hating him and wishing he wasn't there. Mm. And then, you know, it's it, it's going to be difficult. So 
Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is really like, what is the, what's the ceiling for Everton? Like, what could they like? They had a sort of a taste of wow, we're we're winning the league. Last remember last season, they they were kind of <laughs> after about ten games, or maybe it wasn't even as many as ten, but they they started really well, and and you know, Calvert Lewin was scoring a goal a game, and it looked like whoa, like maybe we could be in the top four, and then it just kind of it just sort of went belly up, and. Um, and that's really that, that's the form that they're taking into this season. And I don't see, um, I don't see where they've they've sort of changed that around in terms of the players they brought in. You know, Andros Townsend has come in. Like, is he going to really make that much of a difference? I find it hard to I find it hard to imagine. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I hope that I, I I think Benitez has been good. I, I quite like him as a like I I don't know why he why he he's attracted such hostility really i actually don't really understand it in everton's case i do because he he had a very he very specifically insulted everton by describing them as a small club this mm. is what happens with a small club you know and obviously they're not going to react well uh to that which was like deliberately provocative arrogance from from benitez but i don't think that was really generally his style um sam Allardyce might disagree with me uh, he he believed that was what Benitez was all about, but you know he he really I don't know why he attracted such bad feeling, but the fact remains that he did from lots of people and lost some Everton fans, and so for that reason I don't expect it to go all that well. So prove me wrong. Oh, well, we'll see another uh, Premier League season of drama and uh, lots of Sky Television and Twitter memes uh, lies ahead of us. Uh, as always, Ken, listen, great to talk to you. Um, keep up the great work on Second Captains, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Ben Andrew. Thanks for having me on. Ken is on Twitter at Ken Earlies, at Ken Earlies. And of course, he is part of Second Captains, which you can find at secondcaptains.com. Their Monday football podcast is free for everybody. They do a lot of stuff on Patreon as well. But the Monday podcast is free. And if you're not already a listener, I recommend it going into the new season. So there you go. Secondcaptains.com and at Ken Earlies on Twitter. Right. We're going to leave it there. Join us on Patreon tomorrow for a Brentford preview podcast as we get ready for the first Premier League game of the season. Regular Arscast for you on Friday morning. As always, we'll have a roundtable season preview going on there too. For now though, as ever, thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. It's hugely appreciated. We'll catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.